Welcome back to Fan Patels, a member of the Real Fans Podcast Network. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby. And this week we're going to be taking a little bit of a history lesson. You know how we like to do those here. And we're oh, going to yeah. talk about some of the like retired rides and attractions, um, both from Disneyland in California and Walt Disney World in Orlando. Yeah. So how do we want to do this? Because I kind of have all of the Disneyland and then all of the Walt Disney World. Um... I mean, like, I could talk about the Disneyland ones, because I know quite a bit about these. Okay. So, the only thing is that Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln still exists. It's just not the same. Yeah. It's there, but it's not the same. Yeah, this is talking about the, the original, original one. Okay. That closed in 65. Okay. Great. So... The way we're going to do this is I'm going to talk all about the Disneyland ones, which are right in a row, and then Emma's going to talk about all of the Disney World ones, so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot of just chunks. Oh boy, here we go. So, um, the first one we're going to talk about is the original Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. I know we have it still existing, but it is new. They, like, refurbished it and redid it, and so that's what we have now. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the original for a minute. Yeah. And um, the original animatronic is at Hollywood Studios yeah. in One Man's Dream. Yeah, the original was retired a long time ago. Yeah. So, um, it was originally showcased as the prime feature of the State Illinois Pavilion at the 1964 New York World's Fair. One year after its debut at the World's Fair, the show opened up at Disneyland where it has undergone several changes and periods of hiatus over the years. So uh, today, the great moments with Mr. Lincoln that we have in the park is like an element of the original. It like has bits and pieces of it, but it's not. Um, the Mr. Lincoln, uh, the President Lincoln animatronic has been, you know, updated and it's been given all the latest technologies. And so um, yeah. the new one reopened in 2009 and the official name changed and it's the Disneyland story presenting great moments with Mr. Lincoln, which is so yeah. long. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's, that's the new one. Um, yeah. So Walt Disney originally conceived of a show that would pay tribute to all U.S. presidents as part of a proposed extension of Main Street USA in the 1950s, which um, there's some bricks in Disneyland where you can see where that proposed uh, like expansion would have gone because there's oh, really? a water fountain where like half the bricks are like flat and the other half are like textured, like old timey. Some people think it was like 
a trial to see which bricks that they liked better, but a lot of people are saying no, that that was like the, that's where the like old timey land was gonna go, like the like the founding father's land was gonna go, but. Interesting. Nobody knows. It's, like y'all's version of Liberty Square over here. Yeah, Kingdom. yeah, but it's, it's a mystery. Nobody knows. So, um, interesting. Yeah, so the technology at the time would not permit a show on the scale Disney wanted at the Main Street expansion. Um, So the proposal was abandoned, and the tribute was later built as the Hall of Presidents at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, which we have now. Yes. Um, So Disney Imagineers opted to focus instead on creating a tribute to Lincoln, who was Disney's hero, like his childhood hero, loved loved President Lincoln. There's like whole... I was telling Gabby before we started, um, one man's dream over here in Hollywood Studios, which is a museum of Walt Disney's life, they have a whole section that is just talking about him as a child loving Abraham Lincoln, and there's a picture of him dressed as Abraham Lincoln for a school project. That's or like so a cute. Trip, something. And it was just, like, really cute and awesome. It's, if you go inside of it, that picture is right next to where his school desk is, like, right near the entrance. That's normal. So, um, in 1962, Robert Moses visited Disney seeking for ideas for attractions for the upcoming World's Fair. And Moses was intrigued by a prototype of this audio animatronic Lincoln. So Disney was like, yes, absolutely, we're going to build it, of course, because he's like, mm-hmm. this is my hero. I'm going to build it. Yeah, and that was the first, like, true audio animatronic. Yeah, this was, like, the first time they had figured that kind of thing out. And what's so cool is when you see it in um, One Man's Dream, they have a board that, like, someone operated to move all the hands in mm-hmm. real time. Like, it wasn't, like, downloaded onto, like, the software like it would be nowadays. Yeah so weird to see yeah so the show premiered at the world's fair on april 22nd of 1964 and consisted of a pre-show highlighting the state of illinois which is where he was from um and why he was there you know in the illinois pavilion yes and uh well i mean he was there because he was you know what i mean anyway yeah um it was followed by a theater presentation in which the audio animatronic lincoln gave a speech that included excerpts from multiple speeches actually delivered by lincoln so you know the very famous like four score and seven years ago and like all of those um so it ran for the entirety of both of the world's fair six month seasons and closed on october 17th of 1965 at disneyland yes and of course has been reopened since then in 2009 yeah so next one. So yeah, that, that, that's that one. So our next one is America Sings, which if you've watched the Imagineering story, you know, becomes Splash Mountain. Yes. But uh, yeah. Well, and we talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So America Sings opens on uh, June 29th of 1974, replacing the General Electric sponsored Tomorrowland attraction Carousel of Progress, which had moved to the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World Resort in 1973. So it originally started here in Disneyland and then it got moved to the Magic Kingdom. Um, America Sings used the same carousel theater as its predecessor, and the building had an outer ring of six theaters connected by divider walls that revolved mechanically around about every four minutes around the six fixed stages at the center of the building. 
Unlike Disneyland's Carousel of Progress, which rotated clockwise, America Sings rotated in a counterclockwise direction. Also, unlike Carousel of Progress, America Sings only used the lower level of the Carousel Theater, and the upper level was eventually used to house the Super Speed Tunnel in 1977, which later became themed to the game grid from the 1982 film Tron that the People Mover transported excuse me, that the People Mover Transportation Attraction passed through. So America Sings was written primarily by Mark Davis and Albertino, and America Sings featured a singing cast of audio animatronic animals, and the show masters, the show's master of ceremonies were an American bald eagle named Sam, voiced by Burl Ives, <laughs> and an owl who was voiced by Sam Edwards. Yeah. Which, can you just imagine? I could, like, ugh. I think those two were correct for that position. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. 100%. I can just imagine Burl Ives as like an eagle. Like, it's just like, it fits, you know? I get like Sam the Eagle vibes. Yes! From Sam the Eagle. Yeah. Sam the Eagle the Muppet from this version of Sam the Eagle. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so, like the Carousel of Progress, the first and last scenes of America Sings involve the loading and unloading of guests, and while the other four scenes or acts depicted a particular era. However, the identical load and unload theaters each featured a small curtain gazebo with a backdrop showing a park. The curtains would open to reveal Sam and the Owl standing on a two-level podium, with Sam standing on the higher level, introdu- introducing or closing the show. And between each act as the theater rotated, the lights blacked out, and the theater illuminated with flashing stars during the rotations. And Sam sang about the next era the audience was about to enter, reprising the chorus of Yankee Doodle. <laughs> also, at some point in each act, the weasel would suddenly appear on the scene, spouting a line that spouting, spouting the title line, Pop Goes the Weasel, for a total of five times. At the end of every show, he changed the line to Goodbye, Ghost the Weasel. Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, the characters in America Sings were patterned after the characters from concept art for an animated movie called, oh boy, Chanticleer? Sure. I, I, I have no idea. Uh, that Walt Disney scrapped in the 60s. And America Sings was born out of the company's desire to celebrate the United States Bicentennial. However, it did not quite fit the theme of Tomorrowland, but its relevance to that period in the United States made it appropriate. However, once the Bicentennial was over, the attraction became more misplaced. Which, yeah, like, this is kind of weird to put in Tomorrowland. Frontierland? Yeah. Maybe. Frontierland kind of makes sense. Yeah. Frontierland, over for y'all, or Liberty Square for us. Yeah. Kind of makes sense. But, like, Tomorrowland is like, what? Um, So, Disney Imagineering team began developing new ideas for Tomorrowland that included a show in the Carousel Theater more fitting for the land of the future. And separately, in the summer of 1983, the idea for a log flume attraction for Disneyland that would become Splash Mountain was conceived by Imagineer and Disney legend, our fave, Tony Baxter. (laughs) Um, knowing America Sings was eventually going to close for a more appropriately themed show the idea developed to move most of the America Sings audio animatronic figures into Splash Mountain which totally worked plus they needed something that they could make on the cheap with stuff they already had and IP that already existed so 
Like, come on. Easy. Easy. Recycle that stuff. So in 1986, roughly two years before America Sings impending closure, two audio animatronic geese were taken out of the attraction and their outer, uh, they're called skins, but I feel like it's wrong because we're talking about animals and they actually do, I, I don't know, their, their fur was removed, like the out part, the outside part that makes it look like a goose was removed, yeah. leaving only the robotic skeletons. Uh, their heads were then replaced. Oh, jeez. And they were used as two G2 droids in the queue to Star Tours, which would eventually open in early 1987. One of them, named G29T, still sings a modified I've Been Working on the Railroad, retitled I've Been Looking at the Same Bag in Star Tours, The Adventures Continue. As yes. a result, these the Geese Quartets and Act 1 and 2 became trios until America Sings closed on April 10th of 1988. Um, within, the day, within days of the closure of America Sings, crews began to move most of the audio animatronic figures to Splash Mountain, which opened in the summer of 1989. Which, like we yeah. said, quick, easy, fast, cheap. Mm-hmm. Okay, next. <laughs> next. We're singing Tomorrowland. Yeah, we're staying in Tomorrowland, and we have the California People Mover. We know the Orlando one still exists, but ours does I not. I have to take you on it. Yeah. This year, when you come here. Yeah, that's that's a thing. Yeah. That in Carousel of Progress. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I still can't believe that's happening. I know. Get it. Get it. Fantastic trip. Disney World in October. Get ready for all of the story vlogs. Um, So the People Remover, sometimes referred to as the Goodyear People Mover and the Wed Way People Mover, was a transport attraction that opened on July 2nd of 1967 in Tomorrowland at Disneyland Resort in Anaheim, California. Guests boarded small trains that ran on elevated tracks for a grand circle tour above Tomorrowland, and you can still see these elevated tracks today. Like, they still exist. There's just nothing on it. It's those, you can tell when you walk through, you look up and it's like a white, like. Yeah. That's how ours are. It's white. Yeah. It's still there. There's just nothing on it. it but it looks future So they were like, yeah, keep it. Probably it was too expensive to remove. And time yeah. consuming. So anyway. Yeah. Um, the term people mover, now in wider use to describe many forms of automated public transport, was first coined as the name for this attraction. The people mover was originally only a working title, but became attached to the project over time, and the attraction was initially seen as a serious prototype for in intercity public transport, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, we yeah. all know Walt Disney, he was a... He was a visionary about when it came a to transportation like transportation guy yeah he 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 Loves wanted to trains. create the city of tomorrow yeah so yeah which was supposed to be epcot, epcot. yeah being the exper- experimental prototype community of tomorrow exactly so um the ride closed on August 21st of 1995, so it lasted a pretty good while, um, but it stationed and track and infrastructure, which it shared with its short-lived uh, successor, Rocket Rods, remained standing as of 2023. Um, they're probably going to remain there for a long time. Yeah. If they haven't removed them between 95 to 2023, I'm sure they have no plans. Yeah. I did want to add 
there have been quite a few public scandals like regarding the people mover, especially the one in California. Like there have been many like people who have, you know, while it's been stopped, have like jumped out of the car and there have been like lots of accidents regarding it. Um, I don't remember anything off the top of my head, but there have been like lots of like incidences and I think that's like part of what led to it shutting down is like there like I think somebody might have died or like almost did or like there was like a really big accident. I think that's don't quote me on that. Disney don't come for me. But like <laughs> Oh, that's okay. We're about to talk about more death once we get to Magic Kingdom or to um Disney World. Okay. Good. Because, yeah, there was, like, some sort of incidences that have happened, like, multiple over the course of the 30 years that it was open. And so I think that led to part of the reason they closed it. And their successor, Rocket Rods, same thing, like, was even worse. So, anyway, moving on to Submarine Voyage, which is now known as the Finding Nemo ride, which most people hate. Everybody that I know hates this ride. Yeah. Um... There was also something to do with this one. There was like live mermaids in the tank and then some some of the girls got like skin rashes from the stuff that they put in the water. Nice. Yeah. So, um, Submarine Voyage was an attraction at Disneyland in Anaheim, California. The attraction featured uh, vehicles designed to resemble submarines. Oh, duh. Um, so, it was first opened on June 4th of 1959. As one of, excuse me, Ooh. as one of the first rides to require an e-ticket, it was part of a major expansion of Tomorrowland, which included Matterhorn bobsleds, roller coaster, an expanded version of Autopia, and the Disneyland monorail, as well as the uh, motorboat cruise. So, on July 29th, 1998, Disneyland announced that the submarine voyage would be closing. Uh, the attractions closed on excuse me, the attraction closed on September 8th of that same year because park executives at the time considered it too costly to operate in relation to its capacity, which is true. If you've ever been on those submarines, they're tiny. Mm. Like claustrophobic tiny. No, oh. thank you. Um, the lagoon remained filled with water for seven years, serving as scenery, and many rumors went around over the years saying that a proposed attraction based on the 2001 Disney animated film Atlantis The Lost Empire was going to replace Submarine Voyage in 2003. However, as we know, the film did poorly at the box office and this was scrapped. I still think it would have been cool. Yeah, it would have been cool. So in I love Atlantis, though. I do, too. So in 2005, the lagoon was drained and construction began on a new attraction, Finding Nemo Submarine Voyage, which opened on June 11, 2007, which is based on the Disney Pixar film Finding Nemo, which mm-hmm. it's fine. So, yeah, this one also had some like weird controversy around it surrounding these like mermaids in the in the actual water and it was dangerous with the ride vehicles and it, Disney did some sketchy stuff back in the day. So, our next one we're going to talk... Oh, we're going to talk about Muppet Vision. No! Okay. Um, <laughs> so, the next one we're going to talk about is uh, Country Bear Jamboree. Um, Which and, is still at Walt Disney World. Yeah. And we still These have, like... These two are both at Walt Disney World. Still. We still have the show building for it, too. It's just, like, a restaurant now. 
Well, and then part of it is also Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Well, yeah. The the bottom half got turned into Winnie the Pooh, but the top half is like this like it's this like elevated dining spot. It's like a quick service. Okay. I've never eaten there though, because it's always impossible to find the entrance. Do you see the patio full of people though? And they're all eating their food. And I'm like, I don't know how to get up there. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they find it. I'm like, I'm just here for Winnie the Pooh. I want my Tigger tail, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> that's right. You guys have Tigger tails. We have the Cheshire tails. We have those too. Oh, okay. We don't have Tigger tails. We just have uh, that I know of. Yeah. They're... Don't come for me. I've only been to Disney twice since getting my annual pass. <laughs> they're like, they're the same. It's just one is orange and one is purple yeah um so anyway country bear jamboree oh also the winnie the pooh caramel apples are bomb Ooh, they're really good it's the same it just it's like a little they have so many different ones and it makes me so happy i love i love going over there and hugging poo um so, uh, the Country Bear Jamboree was originally intended by Walt Disney to be placed at Disney's Mineral King Ski Resort in California, which he was trying to build in the mid-60s. Obviously didn't happen. Um, yeah. Disney knew he wanted some sort of show to provide entertainment to the guests at the resort, and he knew he wanted the show to feature some sort of Bayer band, which also got put into Splash Mountain. <laughs> yeah. Um... So, the project was then assigned to Imagineer Mark Davis. Mark Davis. Yeah. Um, so, Davis together. That's how a lot of these guys are the same, like, five people that we always talk about. Yeah. Because they were the, they were the right-hand hand men. Mm-hmm. So, Davis, together with Albertino, came up with many bear groups, including bear marching bands, bear mariachi bands, and Dixieland bears. <laughs> um, on... One day, Davis was working on drawing drawings of characters in his office. Disney walked in, saw the drawings, and laughed because he loved them. So on Disney's way out, he turned to Davis to say goodbye, which he was never known to say. And that was the last time that Davis saw Disney, who died a few, la- few days later on December 15th, 1966, which is kind of sad. Yeah. That's, like, really sad. <laughs> yeah. Um. So after his death, the plans for the show still carried on, and the bears would be featured in the resort's bear band restaurant show, and it was decided that they would have a country twang. But while plans for the show progressed, plans for the ski resort did not. Instead, the Imagineers working on the project decided to place the show in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom in time for its grand opening in 1971. Imagineer Exitencio and musical director George Burns created created songs for the bears to sing. So, on October 1st, 1971, the Country Bear Jamboree opened its doors at the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, and it received so much positive feedback that Imagineers immediately planned to make a replica of the show to be placed in Disneyland. The addition to the show in Disneyland inspired a brand new land appropriately titled Bear Country, which is also where Splash Mountain is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because of the tremendous popularity of the show, although I realized something, now that Splash Mountain is going to be reincorporated into new orleans because of tiana mm-hmm. and we have winnie the pooh that's the only bear country that's left because then you go into batu oh so winnie the pooh is just like his own little bear country nook it's just gonna be like hundred acre wood 
That's what we should change it to. That Yeah, it should just be 100 acre wood. I mean, because he's the only thing that's left. Do you guys have the walk, uh, like the meet and greet characters of the country bears? Because we do. No. We do. And I saw them the other day. We were walking from Tom Sawyer's Island, which is like kind of by Country Bear Jamboree. We're walking past them. I'm like, JJ, look, it's Big Al. I like got so happy about seeing Big Al. No, we don't have the bears anymore. I'm sure they exist somewhere in the park, but no, we don't have them anymore. So, because of the tremendous popularity of the show in Walt Disney World, excess capacity was added to the Disneyland incarnation in the form of two identical theaters, each housing a copy of the show in its entirety. The Disneyland version of the attraction opened on March 4th, 1972. Due to the huge popularity at Disneyland and Magic Kingdom, a third version of the attraction was planned to open at Tokyo Disney. On April 15th of 1983, during the 1984 holiday season was the debut of the Country Bear Christmas special at Magic Kingdom and Disneyland. And mm-hmm. in 1986, the Vacation Hoedown debuted at both Disneyland in February and the Magic Kingdom in May. So on August 24th, 2001, it was announced that the Disneyland location would close on September 9th to make room for the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which... That was such a short turnaround. It really was. So, it lasted a little bit, and then it's gone. And now it's just a faint memory. I thought, hmm, this one's going to make me sad. Oh, we'll go on it. Huh? We'll go on it. Okay, thank you. So, next one that is very near and dear to my heart. In my opinion, it needs to be updated at studios. But, But okay, we can update it, but you just can't get rid of it. No. So, okay, here we go. Muppet Vision 3D. (laughs) Very sad. So on February 8th of 2001, Muppet Vision 3D debuted as an opening day attraction at Disneyland California. The attraction was once sponsored by Kodak upon opening in 1991. I think it opened in Disney World in 1991. Okay, that would make more sense. Because my dad was opening um, lead at... Muppet Vision 3D over here in studios. Okay, that would make more sense because California Adventure didn't exist yet. It, 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 it's talking about the studios one. But so Jim Henson died the year before mm-hmm. Muppet Vision 3D opened in studios. Mm-hmm. And my dad gave the opening spiel to Mr. Henson's family mm. who were there for the opening of the attraction. That's really cool. He always talks about that. So, um, as Emma clarified, the attraction was sponsored by Kodak upon opening in Orlando in 1991. However, in 2012, the company decided to decline the renew of their sponsorship, and by 2013, all references to Kodak were removed. I even remember, like, going as a kid and seeing the, Same. like, Kodak photo spots. Same. Um, so, anyway, throughout the attraction's operation at Disneyland California Adventure... Uh, excuse me, Disney's California Adventure, the theater was used to present sneak peeks of Tron Legacy, Frankenweenie, and Oz the Great and Powerful. On January 7th of 2015, 
the theater at Disney California Adventure began operating as the Crown Jewel Theater and presented for the first time Frozen, excuse me, and presented for the first time in forever a Frozen sing-along celebration, a musical stage show based on Frozen. Mm. Here we go. Frozen ruining more great Disney attractions that are iconic. Um, yeah. The attraction opened and operate, or excuse me, the attraction operated until April 17th of 2016. The location was renamed the Sunset Showcase Theater and began showing Walt Disney Pictures film re- previews in May of 2016. In April of 2019, the Sunset Showcase Theater began showing Mickey's PhilharMagic. And the California Adventure location closed on November 1st of 2014 in what was originally supposed to be a temporary closure. But in May 2015, Disney confirmed that the attraction's closure was permanent. That was a dark day. Mm-hmm. I have many, many memories. In the Muppet Vision 3D, like, lobby over here in studios, because, again, I went on it, like, a couple days ago, mm-hmm. they have a little, like, glass case, and there's a tuxedo in it. And I turned to my friend, I'm like, is that a screen-used Muppet the Frog tuxedo? And I go up to it, and it was the screen-used one from... The- the newest, or one of the newest Muppet movies, actually the one that the guys just talked about on Disorder this past, like, week. Mm. So the first one from, like, 2013. Yeah. With Walter. Not Most Wanted, but the one before that one. Okay. With Man or Muppet. Yeah. And it was just like, is that, is that a screen-used Kermit the Frog? tuxedo and it was and i was just like okay i love it random spot for it to be in but okay love it so this is the last disneyland attraction yes and it is probably like the wildest story (laughs) yeah that's why it saved it for last this one is absolutely bizarre and if you've ever yes. seen the Imagineering story, they briefly talk about it when they're ta- doing the California Adventure episode, like where they like talk about all the struggles that California Adventures went through. But like they don't talk about it enough. So. <laughs> no. And I find it funny because we're talking about this ride not even like a full week after the, the coronation. Right? <laughs> so you're probably like, what the heck does this have to do with the coronation of King Charles? Just wait. We're going to get there. It's the second bullet point. (laughs) Yep. So, the original concept for this attraction, Superstar Limo, was to make riders into celebrities, attempting to evade paparazzi on a wild, high-speed ride through Hollywood. However, the unexpected death of Princess Diana in a car crash in Paris on August 31st of 1997 forced Walt Disney Imagineering to radically redesign the ride since paparazzi had been following Diana at the time of her crash and the ride built around the tendency of paparazzi to chase celebrities at high speeds was now considered inappropriate. Yeah. Yes, agreed. So... The attraction later followed a story where the guest, writer, as Hollywood's newest celebrity, starting out in Los Angeles International Airport, then boarding a limousine, taking them through a variety of locations and situations on the way to the premiere of their new movie at uh, Grauman's Chinese Theater, which I think is very cute. I love the Chinese Theater. Same. 
Um, so construction of Superstar Limo would officially begin in the spring of 1999. Superstar Limo was situated in the Hollywood Pictures backlot area and was one of the original attractions featured on the park's opening day on February 8th of 2001. It was the park's only dark ride at the time of opening, and the attraction closed in January of 2002, less than a year later, due to negative reception from guests, making it the park's first attraction to permanently close. One idea that was reportedly considered was to retheme the attraction as Goofy Superstar Limo. However, the plan never came to fruition. Another reported idea was to change the attraction into Miss Piggy Superstar Limo featuring the Muppets, but these plans were once again dropped. I think that would have been a cute ride. Miss Piggy and the Muppets, like next to Muppet Vision 3D. It's like right next to it too. So like... interesting. Oh yeah. It's like... It's... hmm, The layout's fun. It's like Monsters, Inc., Muppets. Well, now Philhar Magic, but yeah, I didn't even know you guys had Philhar Magic because I remember that right or like that attraction as like a child going on it. Yeah. So, um, the building remained unused until it was surrounded by construction walls in March of two thousand five. So. Three years, empty building. Yep. Or ride that was unfunctional. You know, just mm-hmm. sat there. Um, so then this construction in 2005 started, and it was replaced by an attraction based on Disney Pixar's Monsters, Inc., entitled Monsters, Inc., Mike and Sully to the Rescue, which opened on January 23rd of 2006. The Monsters, Inc. ride used the exact same tri- ride track and vehicles as Superstar limos, but the limos were repainted and redressed as taxi cabs, which works. It's very cute. I like that ride. I know it's like, it's like Winnie the Pooh. It's like supposed to be for like the Litlins, but I enjoy it. I think it's cute. Yeah. That's about it. So we're going to start in the Norway Pavilion at Epcot. For the Walt Disney World ones. Yeah. Take it away. Maelstrom, which was designed by Walt Disney Imagineering, and the ride opened on July 5th of 1988 in the Norway Pavilion of the park's World Showcase section. It was a mix between a log um, shoot and a traditional film attraction. Visitors rode on boats patterned after long ships that passed through various scenes that featured audio animatronic figures. The attraction was originally supposed to be called Sea Venture, with the entrance sign during construction even displaying it as such. But sometime between March of 1988 and the ride's opening, it was changed to Maelstrom. On September 12th of 2014, it was announced that the ride would be replaced by an attraction based on Disney's 2013 3D computer animated musical film, Frozen. Here we go. Frozen ruining more rides. And its final operation day was on October 5th of 2014, which is another fast turnaround. Only a month. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going on this ride with my grandparents whenever they came down. I think when I was like 13, so right around probably when it closed. Yep. The ride scared me as a child because of the creepy tro- trolls that they have. They were, like, evil trolls that, like, turned you backwards and, like, 
caused mayhem. For those who have, who have written the Frozen ride, it's when Elsa does her let it go thing and pushes you backwards. Makes sense. Where the trolls were. It's the same layout of the ride. Just with Frozen characters. Mm-hmm. Honestly, these re-themes that they do, they are like the best money makers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it's- I mean, it was a cute little ride. Um, at that point, though, in like 2014, 2015, the whole Norway pavilion became Arendelle. Yeah. And it still kind of is, but they've started to lessen it. Which, thank God. Yeah. Because they have like the Norwegian like church building that when the film came out, it was like a the inspiration of Disney's Frozen. But it's gone back to talking about um, the Norwegian gods like Loki and Thor and Odin. I like that better. I do too. Which is what it was in its original concept. But then they're like Frozen. Frozen fever hit hard in 2013. Yeah. And it took 10 years for it to cool down. Yeah. So this is the next two are both full parks that Disney has shut down over here in Orlando. The first one being Discovery Island. So from um, 1900 to 1937... The island was known as Raz Island, named after the family that lived there. And in the 1930s, it was purchased for $800 by a man named Delmar Radio Nick Nicholson, who renamed the isle, it to Idle Bay Isle and lived there for 20 years with his wife and pet crane. And it was later so- sold and renamed to Riles Island and used as a hunting retreat. I have a question. Yeah. Is this crane the bird, or did he have a pet, like, construction crane? I'm going to guess the bird because of how common they are here. Yeah, but doesn't that just sound, like, can't you just see that in a newspaper? Like, Florida man adopts construction paint crane as pet. Like. Yeah, but those cranes, because one of them tried to attack me on, like, in the morning, like, today. Oh, okay. They're evil. Okay. So that's also another Florida man thing. I was not bothering this crane. <laughs> Listeners at home. I was walking to my car and it came at me. Now I'm scared. And I was like, what are you doing? Every time I talk to you, you're like, oh yeah, I saw a squirrel and it started coming at me. And then I saw this crane that came at me. Oh, and then this seagull tried to steal my food. Like, yeah. The animals of Florida are just built different. Yeah. Anyway, Disney bought um, the island in 1965 as part of its strategic property acquisitions before building the Walt Disney World Resort. And um, beforehand, Del Mar had grown exotic plants on the island. So the island was opened as Treasure Island on April 8th of 1974 as a place to observe wildlife and was later renamed to Discovery Island when it was recognized as a zoological park. So this is the first version of Disney's Animal Kingdom. Yeah. Um, The admission cost in 1995 was $10.60 for adults 
and $5.83 for children aged 3 through 9. And then in March of 1999, admission was $12.67 for adults and $6.89 for children, including tax. Well, if it's just a park, you know, it's not like there's no rides, no attraction, no IP, nothing. Right? Okay. The island's facilities were the home of the last known dusky seaside sparrow before it died in July of 1987. And in 1989, Disney was accused by people for the ethical treatment of animals of mistreating vultures that landed on Discovery Island. Disney confirmed some of them died while being captured by their employees. Following this allegation, state and federal officials charged Disney with 16 counts of animal cruelty. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Discovery Island housed approximately 150 birds and small primates. It housed the last surviving specimens of the now extinct dusky seaside sparrow. And it closed to the public on April 8th of 1999, exactly 25 years after its opening, but continued to operate until July 9th of 1999, at which point all of its animals had been relocated to Disney's Animal Kingdom, whose Safari Village hub area was renamed to Discovery Island and other zoos. So this is like when you first enter Animal Kingdom, Mm -hmm. that like, it's like Main Street of Animal Kingdom. It's called Discovery Island. It's where the Tree of Life is. Oh, okay. Um, Although Disney never officially stated its reasons for closing the park, poor attendance and high maintenance costs combined with the newer and bigger Disney's Animal Kingdom being opened a year before are most likely the causes. Probably. Since its closing, the island has sat largely abandoned with no sense of development. Disney considered teaming up with Cyan Worlds to turn the island into a replica of the titular island from the video game Mist, where visitors would solve puzzles while exploring. As of 2022, all original buildings and attractions remain on the island, though several have sustained major damages from hurricanes and natural decay. Yeah, and I think... Oh, you're about to talk about it. Yes. Um, in 2009, an account was published of an unauthorized exploration a couple years ago with photographs by Shane Perez. Then in 2017, a film was published by Matt Sanswa of Exploration of the Island. And most recently, on April 30th of 2020, a man was arrested for camping on Discovery Island. He was removed from the island and banned from Walt Disney property. He called the island a tropical paradise and said he did not know the area was off limits to the public. Wow. I think Discovery Island, from what I can tell from like old maps and stuff, is kind of by Fort Wilderness and Magic Kingdom. Okay. Just like this next one, because it says near Discovery Island, and I know that this next full island and park that we're going to talk about was somewhere near Fort Wilderness. Okay. Which is Disney's river country. Remember the death I was talking about earlier? I remember this. We're, I've heard about, about this one. Um, so positioned on the shore of Bay Lake near Dis- Discovery Island, the park featured a rustic wilderness theme complete with rocks and man-made boulders. 
It was described as an old-fashioned swimming hole, and the original working title was Pops Willow Grove. The park was featured in a musical number from the 1977 Wonderful World Disney episode The Mouseketeers at Walt Disney World, which included a song titled River Country and featured the then-current Mouseketeer lineup from the, the late 70s incarnation of the Mickey Mouse Club enjoying its attractions. The park featured a sandy bottom and unique water filtering system using confu confluent water from the adjacent. Let me restart this. Sorry, Kara. The park featured a sandy bottom and unique water filtering system using the water from Bay Lake, which was drained off creating a natural looking artificial lagoon. The park's water was at a higher level than the lakes, which was an effort to prevent lake water from going into the park. There were several deaths that took place at River Country. The first was of an 11-year-old boy who contracted an amoebic infection of the brain from the water in 1980. Park officials noted that similar um, amoebic infections also occurred relatively frequently elsewhere, and said it was an inherent problem with freshwater lakes in warm weather and thus could not be blamed on the park's water system. Three other children died, had died similarly in Florida in the same month, and the two other deaths were from drowning in 1982 and 1989, respectively. The park closed on November 2nd of 2001 with, um, with the expectation... The park closed on November 2nd of 2001 with the expectation that it would reopen in spring of 2002. On April 11th of um, 2002, the Orlando Sentinel reported that, quote, Walt Disney World's first water park, River Country, has closed and may not reopen, end quote. Disney World spokesman Bill Warren has stated that River Country could reopen if there's enough guest demand. Which, at this point, they have two other water parks. So, I... I doubt don't it. don't think it will ever come back. Especially since it was 2002. Yeah. Because now it's, what? Typhoon Lagoon and... Um, Blizzard Beach, which has also been overrun by Frozen. Because, <sighs> of course, it has. It, it, it's, it, it's the ski resort-themed water park. Ah, yes. A ski resort-themed water park. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the only one I've been to of the two ones over here has been Blizzard Beach, and it's really cool. But it makes no sense. No. Me. That makes no sense to me at all. Just like this next attraction to me. <laughs> also, I realized that I chose a lot of studios once. It's because Studios has changed the most out of any of the Disney parks. That's true. And not the next one that we're going to talk about after the Enchanted Tiki Room under new management, but the following one. Without that attraction, I would not be here. So, yeah. That's true. That's the attraction my parents met on. <laughs> so we'll get to that. Um... But anyway, 
The Enchanted Tiki Room under new management. Which Emma has spoken a great deal about how much she disliked. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So the Enchanted Tiki Room show from Disneyland opened in the Magic Kingdom on October 1st of 1971 as Tropical Serenade. The show was an exact duplicate of the Disneyland attraction, but instead of the pre-show there um, was a waterfall in place of the Tiki Gods, which opened and two audio animatronic toucans entertained guests. The show closed on September 1st of 1997 for renovations and updating. It reopened on April 5th of 1998 as the Enchanted Tiki Room under new management featuring Iago, voiced by Gilbert Gottfried, and Zazu, voiced by Michael Go, from Aladdin and The Lion King, respectively, as the new owners of the Tiki Room. The show featured all of the same audio-animatronic birds, flowers, and tiki gods, but now included Iago and Zazu, plus a new evil tiki goddess named Uwa, who disrupts the usual Enchanted Tiki Room storyline after Iago upsets her. On January 12th of 2011, a small fire broke out in the attic of the attraction. It was rumored that the Iago figure that first interrupts the show was severely damaged by the small blaze, but the cause of the fire and the extent of the damage was kept quiet under the investigation. Other show elements experienced minor damage when the sprinkler system went off to extinguish the flames. No guests were harmed in the accident. Um, the original attraction reopened on August of fifth, uh, August fifteenth of twenty eleven, as Walt Disney World's or Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room, an edited and trimmed version of the original show, featuring all but one of the songs from the original nineteen sixty three version of the show, which is arguably better. Yeah, um, you know, trying to enjoy your Dole Whip and having Gilbert Godfrey yell at you is not fun. You're sitting there just trying to eat your Dole Whip float and he scares the crap out of you and you're just like, ah, ice cream everywhere. Yes, because the Dole Whip stand is like right next to Tiki Room. Yeah. You're going to go get some right before you go into the Tiki Room. Yeah. I love the next two attractions we're going to talk about and I'm really sad that they're gone. Um, The first one is the Great Movie Ride and then the second one is the Studio Backlot Tour. Um, so yeah, the great movie ride, which I think should still be here. I love Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, but this is the true essence of what Disney's Hollywood Studios was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So the great movie ride directly inspired the creation of Hollywood Studios, in fact. Yeah. And in a Walt Disney Imagineering book, it was revealed that the Great Movie Ride was originally planned as the main attraction in a show business-themed pavilion at Epcot, which was meant to be called Great Moments at the Movies. However, however, the newly assigned Disney CEO, Michael Eisner, and Walt Disney Imagineering president, Marty Sklar, decided that... Marty Sklar. Marty Sklar decided the idea was strong enough to lead an entire new theme park. The idea for the ride was expanded, and the Disney MGM Studios went into official development. 
An early concept was supposed to be called the Great Movies at, or Great Moments at the Movies, presented by Spears, Roebuck, and Company. The Walt Disney Company and the retailer, then the largest in the world, announced a 10-year joint marketing and licensing agreement on November 19th of 1987. Sears would sponsor the park's signature attraction and a Hollywood Showcase store. However, those plans were scrapped before the park's opening. Coca-Cola stepped in as the attraction sponsor, and it became the great movie ride to reflect it was a ride, not a movie, despite being housed in a replica of a famous movie theater, which is the Chinese Theater which is where a lot of early Disney movies had their premiere. Um, on the park's opening day, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Minnie Mouse, Goofy, and Roger Rabbit, and other Disney characters placed their signatures, footprints, and handprints in front of the great movie ride facade, which are still there to this day, now outside of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Um, unlike many Disney dark rides that feature separate embarkation and debarkation areas, the Great Movie Ride only had one single combined unloading and loading area, and the last people to exit the vehicles often passed the next group waiting to board the vehicles. Like Indiana Jones. Was, yeah, like Indiana Jones. So, like, they would have the whatever... They'd have you get off, and then as soon... And then they move the ride forward yeah. a little bit. And it'd be time for the next group to go on. At the time the ride was designed, which was the mid to late 1980s, it was common throughout the theme park industry to have uh, all major rides exit into a store selling merchandise associated with the attraction. The Great Movie Ride, however, did not directly um, exit into a store and instead allowed guests to directly exit back into the park. In 2014, as part of an exclusive programming deal with Disney, Turner Classic Movies agreed to become the sponsor of the attraction. The attraction underwent a refurbishment in 2015 with the addition of a new pre-show and post-show hosted by Robert Osborne, who was who also provided onboard narration to the ride. The changes were unveiled on May 29th of 2015. And on July twenty or July fifteenth of twenty seventeen, it was announced that the Great Movie Ride would permanently be closed in order to make room for its replacement, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. The attraction had become outdated over the years as the animatronics were starting to age, in addition to Hollywood Studios changing its theme from show business to popular Hollywood movies, and the last rides were given at 9.30 p.m. on August 13th, and by the next morning, the signs were taken down and a photo opportunity of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway was installed near the former exit. But on Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, and I pointed this out to my friend, when you're on the ride, it's the carnival scene, and right next to, like, Pete's little, like, ticket stand or whatever he's in, there's a little poster, and it says... Um, like the great moving ride, like as a like a that's cute inside kind of thing. The studio backlot tour, which was at MGM Studios and Hollywood Studios, and without which we would not have Emma. Yes, because my 
dad worked on it, and then my mom, during her Disney College program, this was the attraction she was an attractions cast member for. And that's how they met. Yeah. And I love the Backlot Studio Tour. I actually went on the last day of it being operational. Yeah. So the first incarnation of the Backlot Tour loaded at the former entrance to the Magic of Disney Animation, which also no longer exists because that's where we have the Star Wars um, launch bay area. Oh, cool. Okay. That's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it used to be like how to draw Disney characters and all that stuff. But now it's moved to Animal Kingdom for some reason. Okay. I don't know why, but... Because they needed something else. (laughs) Yeah. The original tour was far longer and more elaborate than the final version. The former tour originally drove through New York streets slash streets of America. However, due to the surprise popularity of the park, New York Street was removed from the tour and made into a public walking space within the first few years of operation. And we've actually talked about this area of the park because that's where the Osborne Lights used to be. Ah! And the New York Street area. Go listen to our Disney Parks Christmas episode if you don't know what the Osborne Lights are. Um... It remained open to pedestrians until April 2nd of 2016 when Streets of America closed. After driving through the New York Street area, the tram drove into Catastrophe Canyon, which like simulated how they do like movement and all that stuff like whenever there's like earthquakes and stuff in the film in films. Yeah. Um, after visiting the canyon, guests disembarked at the final tour's exit area. The area where Studio Catering Company, restaurant, and the adjacent shop stood until Streets of America closed was originally a break area for guests before embarking on the second half of the Backlot Tour. This break area was expanded to include an area for kids to play called Honey, I Shrunk the Kids Movie Set Adventure. The second half of the tour was a walking tour. It encompassed the water special effects tank, the effects shop, and the existing sound stages along Mickey Avenue and the sound stages that currently house Walt Disney One Man Stream and Voyage of the Little Mermaid. Guests viewed the sound stages um, using overhead walkways. And these sound stages like were actually operational sound stages. Yeah. My dad talks about how they used to film the Mickey Mouse Club. That's what I was just going to say. The, the one with uh, Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears. Yeah, my dad worked ushering for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like those were still there and some of these sound stages over the years have been used for like making of blank movie yeah. attraction like areas. The big ones I remember is Prince Caspian and Voyage of the Dawn Treader. They did both of those yeah. at one point. And if I remember... Or not Dawn Treader. The first and second Narnia movies because Dawn Treader was not made by Disney. Oh. And if I remember correctly... Uh, these sound stages were kind of a flop. Same with, like, the animation studio there. Like, the, they weren't really used yeah. that much. And, like, they oh, made, yeah. like, Which the... Is why they're not... Yeah, like, they anymore. made the, the Goofy movie and, like, the straight-to-DVD sequel of Mulan and, like, a few other, like, <laughs> random things. Yeah. 
but like a lot of it, uh, didn't they start Lilo and Stitch there and then it moved to Burbank? Yes, because they shut it down. But the like the last one that was officially made there was the Goofy movie. Yeah, which now Max in his um, Powerline costume meets at Hollywood Studios. I found out while walking around the park the other day. Yeah, which like which I thought was cool. Very cool for full circle moment. Yeah. So, I yeah I remember yeah. like seeing videos about the stuff and they were like. Yeah, because Universal Studios had opened and they had a backlot tour and it was like so cool and everybody liked it. And now it's like. Yeah, and the one in Florida doesn't have a backlot tour anymore. Either. Um, So portions of the walkway can still be seen in the park, most notably by the most recent um, backlot tour entrance and by the former The Legend of Captain Jack Sparrow entrance. Um, there are walkway bridges, um, just like New York Street, due to the overwhelming popularity of Disney's Hollywood Studios, former backlot areas were opened up to guests present-day Mickey Avenue and Southern Animation Court Yard, which have become where the Disney Junior show is, Mm -hmm. where, like, it used to be the, um, Bear in the Blue House, and, like... Caillou and all those when it was our generation and then it was like Doc McStuffins and Sophia the First and now it's whatever the newest era is. That's so cute! Bluey? Yeah, and it's, what? Do you think they're going to put Bluey in? Maybe. That would blow up if they put Bluey in. Yeah. I'll have to find videos of the one from our generation. But yeah, so like Animation Courtyard is where that is, and then it's the Launch Bay, and then it's Voyage of the um, Little Mermaid. Fun. Which Voyage of the Little Mermaid has not been operational since the closure of the Disney parks post-COVID-19 pandemic. Because all the water effects in there molded over, is the big rumor. So (laughs) that is not reopened. I believe it. I think Ursula's head fell off here multiple times. Yeah, I believe that. So this was a show. Like, it was like a 30-minute show of The Little Mermaid. And it had, like, puppets and, like, water. Wait, yours isn't a ride? We also have the ride. That's in Magic Kingdom. What? (laughs) Maybe they're going to retheme it. You see, if they want to keep it Little Mermaid... I think they should put the Howie Bailey version there. But what if they're not? What if they're just going to retheme it as something completely else? Like, is it next to the, like, Junior Land? Yeah. So maybe they're going to retheme it as, like, a Disney Junior stage show deal. So the thing is, is so the Disney Junior, it's already a stage show. It's like a dance party thing. Oh. It's in the courtyard, so it's on the right side when you're walking into it. And then right in front of you is Star Wars Launch Bay, which is, like, making of Star Wars and, like, different characters. Kind of like your Launch Bay. Okay. And then to the left is the Little Mermaid. Hmm. <gasps> you know what would be cool? What? If they made it, like, a Star Wars the Animated series. That'd be cool. Like, because they just came out with a new junior one, right? That's, like, Star Wars. yeah, yeah. yeah. The, like, Padawan Adventures. Yeah. Whatever the hell it's called. Yeah. So, like, what if they turned it into, like, a little, like, like, theater where it's just, like, a movie. Like, it's just videos playing, right? Because, like, 
they like that for the kids. So that way they can like unwind yeah. and just kind of like chill for a minute. Yeah. In the cold room air conditioning. Because like we have one of those and they play like Dunk McStuffins and like whatever the newest Disney shows Something are. Something else that would be cool is if they turned that area into like, I know you guys have that like animation room that's like all the way around like um, screens that have all the different like movies and stuff. Yeah. That also Something leads like that to Bell's cool. Library. Yeah. I don't know because how to get there. Because it's nowhere near the Beauty and the Beast stage show, which is near Fantasmic. So, like, it's in a really awkward place in the park. Not going to lie. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Or maybe they just gut the whole thing and turn it into a giant store like they did for, oh, geez, what used to be in that building? Um, I don't know, but there's a giant empty show building right now, and it's yeah empty. Literally, they ripped everything out of it, and it's just a giant Marvel-like store. Because it's right, it's really close to, uh, like, the Marvel land, like, the Avengers campus. So, like... Yeah, I think the closest thing to it besides Launch Bay and the animation thing is One Man's Dream, as it was saying. Yeah. And um, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Yeah, so that'd be a great place to, like, rip everything out and just put in, like, a giant Disney classic merch. You know, like, Oswald yeah. and Mickey and Minnie and, like, old tiny. Or even make that into the new animation courtyard. Yeah. Because it's stupid in Animal Kingdom. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I will fight about this. Because it, it, it's in, like, the kitty area of, like, Animal Kingdom. That's annoying. So, like, eh. And also, Hollywood Studios was made to be, like, making of yeah. movies and stuff. So, it should just stay there. But Who knows? We'll see. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, much of the former walking portions of the Backlot Tour became its own attraction, which was the Backstage Pass, separate from the original tour, which greatly reduced the overall tour time. Around the same time, the entrance to the Backlot Tour was moved to the end of Mickey Avenue with a new entrance ramp built to the water effects tank, a prop warehouse building constructed for additional queue, and a new loading area for the teams. Trans. In 2001, Backstage Pass was closed. In April of 2001, and, Soundstage... And that says trams. What did I say? Teams. Around this same time, Kara cut this out. Cut, cut me that was almost as out. good as that was almost as good as I just edited this episode last night, and um, Marlena called um, <laughs> called Rowan's character lozenge, and I lost it. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Around the same time, the entrance to the back lot tour was moved to the end of Mickey Avenue with a new entrance ramp built to the water effects tank, a prop warehouse building constructed for additional queue, and a new loading area for the trams. In 2001, Backstage Pass was closed, and in April of 2001, Soundstage 3 opened to the public to house Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Play It, and was closed in 2006. The, in 2008, Soundstage 3 and the adjacent Soundstage 2 
were converted into the Toy Story Midway Mania attraction, and Soundstage 1 previously housed a gift shop for Star Wars Weekends, which stopped in 2015. In the summer of 2014, it housed, say it with me, another Frozen thing. Which was Wandering Oakens Trading Post. Trading Post and Sauna. And it now currently hosts the third track to the popular Toy Story Midway Mania. Hey. The adjacent building, an unnamed enclosed area and theater, housed for many years an attraction called The Making of Blank. The blank filled in with the name of the next upcoming film from either Walt Disney Pictures or Touchstone Pictures. When the walking tour was removed from the backlot tour, this became a separate attraction on the previously mentioned backstage pass attraction. In 2001, the space was converted into Walt Disney One Man's Dream. Where did it go? There we go. Originally, this, the, the display area of the building emptied into the theater currently occupied by Voyage of the Little Mermaid. Within months of the park's opening, the theater became a separate venue from the walking tour portion of the backlot tour. The first show in the new separate theater was Here Comes the Muppets. The original theater was then separated with a new, slightly smaller theater built right next to it for the making of blank attraction. This is the current the guests. Uh, this is the current theater that guests enter in Walt Disney One Man Stream. If you want to watch a 15-minute documentary about the life of Walt Disney, oh, cute! Yeah. So in 2003, Residential Street was walk- walled off from the tour and demolished. The land was used for Lights, Motors, Action Stunt Show, which was a car stunt show that featured Herbie. Is that the white car? The bug, the VW bug, yeah. Yeah, the bug movie. It featured him, and it had, like, the split off and all that stuff from, like, the movies. and showed how they did all those stunts with That's cars cool. in movies. Um, the addition of the stunt show also caused New York Street to lose its arch, as the area was needed for the tour tram to turn around to arrive at the exit station. Overall, the tram portion of the tour was obviously greatly reduced due to this new stunt show. In 2008, Imagineering announced to cast members that an automated narration spiel was in development to replace all the live tour guides on the shuttle's portion of the tour. So, like, my mom and dad and all the other cast members would have to, like, read a script and then they got rid of the script and had a narration mm-hmm. that played. Um, the special effects, they weren't working at this point because I was seven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the special effects water tank continued to have a live cast until the wa- attraction closed due to volunteer guests. What does that mean? What? Oh, because it, you would volunteer to like be part of it. So, that's ominous. Yeah. The attraction went down for two months refurbishment on January 4th of 2009, and the ride briefly closed down in February 2010, along with the adjacent studio catering company and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie set adventure. And this was the final refurbishment before the attraction closed. Sad. So, before we talk about the closure of it. Um, I, something I remember was in the line for it, 
they started putting in like props and set pieces from different like movies that Disney had done. That's kind of cool. And the one I remember the most was the egg house from the Hannah Montana movie. What? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. They had it just like in the line queue for the great movie ride. <laughs> or not the great movie ride, the studio backlot tour. Okay. I have a picture of me in front of it. Oh my God. Somewhere. Carol, remind us to post that on the Instagram. If I can find it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it would have like stuff like that. Um, at some point with the um, stage studio tour, you would go by the current costuming building where they were working on like new Disney costumes and stuff for the parts. That's kind of cool. And just like other stuff like that that like showed not only movie production, but Park stuff. Theme park production. On September 20th of 2014, it was announced to cast members that the ride would permanently close on September 27th of 2014 for the orchestral facility. On September 28th, the marquee and the sign that were at the entrance were removed and painted over. At the time of the attraction's closing, there was no word of what was going to replace it, However, it was announced at the uh, D23 Expo in 2015 that the land taking of the backlot tour, as well as the majority of the streets of America, would be removed and demolished to make room for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and Toy Story Land. And it all began demolition in mid-2016. Wow. Yeah. The only part of Streets of America that exists now is, like, the Muppet area. Hmm. Which, I have some choice things with Muppet area. Oh. The restaurant over there should be Swedish Chef-themed, not Rizzo. Oh, agreed. 100%. Big complaint. It's Pizza Rizzo. Why is it not just, like, Swedish Chef? I don't know. That makes no sense. It used to be, before Toy Story Land existed, it used to be, um, what's the... Pizza place, Pizza Planet. It used to be Pizza Planet themed from Toy Story, but because it's not near Toy Story Land, they got rid of it. Yeah. When Toy Story Land was made, we have a. And they were like, "Well, it's right next to Muppets." Yeah. Pizza Rizzo. Why do not just Swedish Chef's Pizzeria? Thank you. Thank you. And I have Swedish Chef like. Burr. Thank you. With like, with like two spoons. Like, come on. Or like flipping a pizza. That would be cute. I don't know why it bothers me so much, but it does. It bothers me too. Now we're going to talk about an opening day attraction of Magic Kingdom. Which we still have. That is still, yeah, that you still have. It's the reverse of all the Disneyland stuff that we have yeah. still. Which is Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Yeah. Um, like I said, it was the one of the opening day attractions um, on October 1st of 1971. So, 52 years ago. Um, the biggest difference from the Disneyland attraction was that it had two separate boarding areas. The vehicles in the form of... Jalopies? Not a clue. Sure. In each boarding area, we're on separate tracks that followed different paths 
So riders would get a slightly different ride depending on where they boarded. It contained highly ornate plywood characters and... I googled it. Jalapy. Jalapies. An old car in a dilapidated condition. Okay. Um, but anyway, the sets were very reminiscent of the multi-point camera work featured in many of the early Disney films. In October of 1997, rumors began to spread that an attraction based on Winnie the Pooh would replace Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And on August 27th of 1998, Walt Disney World officially announced the closure of Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, and the attraction was closed on September 7th of 1998, to make room for the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which opened on June 4th of 1999. And tributes to Mr. Toad's Wild Ride can be found in the attraction, including paintings of Mr. Toad and Molly. In addition, there's a statue of Toad in the Pet Cemetery outside the Haunted Mansion in Liberty Square. Now, for those of you looking for it, because when I went to Magic Kingdom two days ago, I was like, I want to find the Mr. Toad thing. It is when you're exiting the ride mm. and after, like, the big, like, gravestones and all that stuff, if you look to the left, there is the little pet cemetery, and he's the highest one in the corner there. Very cute. I should have taken a picture of that, too. Yeah. It's okay. We'll take a picture of with it when we go. Yes. Because it'll be Halloween time. Yeah. We'll be, we'll be doing oh. uh, Mickey's, Mickey's Not-So-Scary so Halloween party. I'm really excited. I'm excited. I'm really excited. Should we keep our costumes a secret? Absolutely. Okay. So, shall we get into fandom news? Yeah, I mean, that was a lot of information. Let me just say, yeah. Disney knows how to repurpose some buildings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Repurpose or repurposeful lands or mm-hmm. whatever. Just... Work with what they got. I want to do another episode because there were some things that were, like, very close to making it in. Like, Beastly Kingdom over an Animal Kingdom. Mm. Like, the concepts that, that never really made it. Interesting. Yeah, like, concepts that never made it. Hmm, that'll be a good one. Okay. Like, the Mary Poppins attraction that was supposed to be at Epcot that just, like, got... No. Hmm. Okay. So... Joel Gray and John Kander will both receive the 2023 Special Tony Award for Lifetime Achievement in the Theater. This summer, The Who's Tommy Original Creatives will reunite at Chicago's Goodman Theater for a reimagined version of the production. Following receiving no Tony Awards, Bob Fosse's Danson will take its final bow later this month in May. Barry Manilow and Bruce Sussman's Harmony is officially coming to Broadway this fall. The live-action aerial from the upcoming Little Mermaid film is set to appear at Disneyland Park, Disney's Hollywood Studios, and the Disneyland Paris this summer. Hmm. Rumors suggest that Fantasmic is reportedly suspended at Disneyland through at least the end of May, as we figure out the, the dragon-on-fire situation. Taylor Swift has announced the date of her next re-release album, which is Speak Now. Speak Now, Taylor's version, is out streaming on July 7th of this year. Did you see that thing where people are rumoring that there's, like, this book by an unknown author that's supposed to be a memoir and everybody thinks it's going to be Taylor Swift? Yeah, because it comes out two days after, and in her um, 
comment or in her caption of like the re-release for Speak Now Taylor's version. She uh, said or the release of Speak Now Taylor's version. She said something about July 9th. And she said dear reader is at the beginning. Yeah. And in July 9th there's there's a song lyric about July 9th so people at first were thinking it's that. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. It has. Happens. It's become the number one pre-ordered book on Barnes and Noble and the number two pre-ordered book on Amazon. Yeah, and no, and people don't even know who it is yet. Yeah. So, I have not pre-ordered it. I am waiting to hear. Smart, because then you're gonna be like, ah. <laughs> um. So anyway, Mantis had made has made her Disney Park debut for the first time at Disney's California Adventure to promote the release of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. She's appearing in the mini dance battle show alongside Star-Lord outside of Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. Yes, and she's so adorable. I I know, I've seen the videos, so cute. The Disney dining plan will return to Walt Disney World in 2024, so guests can do the dining plan again, which is exciting. Corbin Blue and Danielle Wade will lead the cast for the world premiere musical comedy Summer Stock at Godspeed Musicals in East Haddam, Connecticut. Park pass reservations will no longer be required for date-based tickets at Walt Disney World starting on um, starting in 2024. That's a big deal. Yeah. So, like, your passes you wouldn't have needed to make a reservation for. Yeah. Although, the thing that I said said that there are conditions that do apply. Like, if it's a particularly high, like, during the summer, you might still need to make yeah. reservations. And if you have, like, passes, you'll still need to do it and certain other things. Yeah, like, if you have an annual pass, yes. These are talking about if you bought for a specific day for a specific park. Oh, okay. Like, the one-day, one-park tickets, not like a park offer pass. Got it. Robin DeJesus and Patty Murin will lead the Little Shop of Horrors at the Muni in St. Louis, Missouri this July. Annual pass holders and cast members will no longer need park pass reservations for select dates at Walt Disney World. Some like it hot to launch North American Tour in fall of 2024. Sammy... Canold to direct the symphonic world premiere of Rent in Concert at the Kennedy Center. I'm going to New York. <laughs> I, I gotta see that. Yeah, I want to too. Bad Cinderella will play its final performance at the Imperial Theater this June. Which will mean that it will be the first time in like 44 years or something like that that there will be no Android Weber show on Broadway. Yep. Honestly, were we surprised? No. It also received no Tony noms. That too. Jessica Fosk, Jared Spector, and Taylor Lauterman and more will lead the chess at the Muni this season. Chip Zine to star in the role of Rabbi in Barry Manilow and Bruce Sussman's musical Harmony on Broadway. Harmony on Broadway. Yes, and Chip Zine is the original baker in Into the Woods. Ah, okay. Epcot's Japan Pavilion will soon be home to a new eatery called Shikisai Sushi Zakaya. It is described as a festive dining experience and a shareable Zakaya style, and it will replace Tokyo Dining, which closed last November. I'm really excited about this one. Uh, Tom Hiddleston and Mark Hamill will star in a Stephen King adaptation of The Life of Chuck, which is going to be directed by Mike Flanagan. And last but not least, the Beetlejuice sequel has an official release date. The film is set to hit theaters on September 6th of 2024. And will star Winona Ryder, Michael Keaton, and Jenna Ortega. I don't like that she's in it. 
but yeah. I don't like it because now she's just going to be known as like the emo girl of Hollywood mm-hmm. being Wednesday and um, Lydia's daughter. Yeah. But and I don't like that. How cool is it that they got Michael Keaton and Winona Ryder? True. And there's rumors that Johnny Depp might be coming in. I wouldn't be mad about Those that. Those are big rumors so that I've heard, but it could be Johnny Depp's first big thing since the trial. Which would be cool. I listened to the trial and I don't know. I think that was wild. I don't, I don't think. I think. Eh, whatever. doesn't matter. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fan Fatales. We are a proud part of the Real Fans Podcast Network. That's right. And if you want to check out more shows on the network, you can find them at rf4rm.com. Join us next week where we will be talking about the MCU versus comic books, kind of like what we did with the Disney princesses' original stories to the Disney films. Remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe to us on YouTube. Please leave us a review and comment down below to tell us what you thought of the show. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod for the latest updates, especially since we're going to be going to Disney World in October. Now, Emma, where can the people find you on social media? So my Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter are all at SnippyEmma, which is S-N-I-P-P-Y-E-M-M-A. What about you, Gabs? I'm at Gabby Jen pretty much everywhere. That's G-A-B-Y-J-E-N-T. Our editing is by the wonderful Carol Linsmeyer. And as always, thanks for tuning in.